0: You can't fight, he said, withstand. You can't withstand, he said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What, don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why
1: does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast fit, and our granddaddy did it like that. Let's change it just a little bit. You change it and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men.
0: Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is David Baker. Welcome to the Wisdom for Life podcast. Hey, we're glad that you're here. We have a special treat for you today. Uh, a guest, a friend of mine, Evangelist Todd Monaghan. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. Great to have you. So, Evangelist. So, um, uh, four or five years old, you surrendered to preach to be Evangelist. Is that is that right?
2: Yeah. And I've never sinned a day in <laughs> my life. Everything's just been rosy.
1: Awesome. So, uh, we're going to get into Brother Todd's story. Uh, it is quite interesting and uh, super guy, great guy. But first, got to get to the important things. If you're on video, um, then you can see Todd has a very special mug. Um, Brother Todd, you preach for us. How many times do you think uh, you've come down here? We were the first church you ever preached in, besides your home church, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, no,
2: before that, just the first, before like, even the first, your first like, adult crowd.
1: Yeah, first Pinkies adult up. crowd. So, um, anyway, my he likes coffee. My daughter has coffee mugs, so when he came here, we gave him this coffee mug. Todd's sort of a, a wimpy guy, as you'll hear in a few minutes. Um, and so we gave him the wimpy pink coffee and mascara coffee mug. So every time he comes, we have to make sure we give him that. So you'll say uh, why we laugh about that in a minute. So, um, Sean, tell us how you grew up, your testimony as a child. Um, and um, teenager, how all that happened?
2: So my mother uh, had my sister when she was twelve years old. She had me when she was thirteen years old. She ended up uh, losing custody of me and my sister. Got it back on the tenth day that she had custody of us. Uh, she was out doing some drugs. I ended up popping a bottle of pills and I began to overdose. However, my sister's grandmother taught her how to dial nine one one. She saw something was wrong. She called nine one one. They came. They put my stomach, and I got put in uh, a couple different foster homes. The family was actually gonna adopt me to try to keep their keep their marriage together, which I wouldn't have been a glue for anybody's marriage, especially as a as a toddler. Um, anyways, I ended up getting adopted um, by a, a white family in Iowa uh, after I spent some time with a foster. Family, a good foster family, great foster family. Um, They were very wealthy. She drove a Lincoln Town car around town. She drove a Corvette for fun and she had a Cadillac for long trips. Uh, They actually said I could have that Corvette when I graduated, but my parents said no for some reason. (laughs)
1: Because you probably did, that's why. Probably. uh, For sure. So um, So that was the beginning of my life. So, teenage years. um,
2: Teenage years. uh, Well, we'll just, we can fast forward to. To middle school, um, my my family my family was a strong family. I remember my grandmother, uh, or my grandfather dying, my aunt getting hit by a semi and dying, and then my aunt having a heart attack, dropping the baby and the baby dying, and and it wasn't even her baby; it was her daughter's baby. And I can remember that happening around seven. But as I was about sixteen years old, I thought to myself, all that stuff happened in. We had great Christmases, we had great Easter's, we had uh, great Thanksgiving, all through that time. So uh, that's the kind of family, I had a strong family, but um, my my, fam- my parents were moral, unsaved, but to this day, I've never seen my parents get into an argument or, uh, wow. or, or use any serious bad language. Um, I was able to lead my mom to the Lord recently, but anyways, um, with that being said, in middle school... I I can remember asking my parents to get a trampoline, and they said no. So I instantly went and asked my sister if she would get one about a week later. Not instantly, a week later. And then we had one just like that. You know, it was like that with clothes and all types of things. And I had these two pair of windbreakers, navy blue, and the kids would pick on me because I had these. I was always wearing the same pair of pants, same pair of pants. And uh, one of my friends heard me complaining about this, and he told me, well, you can sell this on some marijuana, and you can make your own money, buy your own pants. And I was a savvy little guy uh, and I made the choice to sell the drugs but had my parents told me why don't you get a work permit, get a job or even just bought me some pants uh, and, and and I realized I should just been thankful that I had anything to wear but uh, had they did that, I probably would have developed a strong work ethic, work ethic instead of getting addicted to drugs right. or selling drugs, not addicted to drugs, but the money. So I sold the drugs, uh, bought my own pants. I kept selling them, selling them, selling them, gave them all the money back so I could buy my own ounce of marijuana, then quarter pound, then half pound. So I'm in eighth grade to ninth grade. I grow from a ounce to... Uh, which cost about $110 and then some of my buddies lowered them down to 90. And then we had a little monopoly there and then you got the quarter pounds and half pounds. So that's a, in a, in a summer, that's a good little come up for me you know, $500 every couple of weeks as, as a, as a young man.
1: So then, uh, on into college and, um, what happened and, and, uh, college
2: where, uh, I actually got to go to college with the guy that I played wee football with a good friend my whole life. Uh, but we were, we were rough in college, kicking in people's doors and robbing people uh, and you name it. We were pretty much doing it. There was one kid, we wanted to get a pound of marijuana from him. And in order for him to get it for us, he had to put the title up to his car. And we didn't care about his car or his title or any of that stuff. So he puts the title up to his car, he brings it back. And me and this uh, big white guy had this this robbery planned out and he backed out on me but I saw this other this black dude from Missouri I said I got this lick we can get this guy he just backed out do you want to get him so let's say this is the dorm room my dorm was here we walked down here his dorm room was right here right we walked down here we devised a plan he said um, uh, you get it hold it up in your hand I'm gonna snatch it and run so he um we walked the 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 door was here. There was a blanket. Um, pulled the blanket back. I got it, and I said, "Here, look at this." And he snatched it and he took off running. So I grabbed a knife that he had there, and we took off looking for him. And we ended up seeing the guy. I said he said, "Is that him?" I said, "No." He had a different color shirt on. He ran and changed his shirt, but he was hiding behind the car. We ran straight out. He was right there behind that car. I just took off this way. He followed me, and and that's just the kind of stuff that we were doing. Then I get back from I get back from college. My buddy is uh uh. No longer selling weed, he's selling cocaine, and he's making a thousand dollars on Friday, thousand dollars on Saturday. Sitting on the bar, got the ladies, all this, that, and the other. And I thought to myself, man, I need some of that money instead of thousand dollars in a month. Let's make a thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars a week. And we started doing that. We were getting ecstasy pills for three dollars a piece. If we bought five hundred of them, and we were selling them off for twenty five dollars, and we were getting five hundred every. Every three months, plus ounces of cocaine and marijuana, you can do the math with all that. So, um, as far as salvation goes,
1: yes, let's get you out of that. So yeah, what yeah. happened? How did uh, how did God get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, and only God could 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 have could have changed anything. Excuse me. So, I walked across to this Urban Outfitter. Uh, clothing store. Clothing store in the front. And then in the back he had a call center. Uh, and I asked this man if he had a pair of shoes that I wanted, and he said, No, I don't have those shoes that you want, but I got a question for you. Do you know for sure if you go to heaven or not when you die? Keep in mind this man was a he was a I saw him selling drugs. I saw him doing drugs, and I saw him at the bar every single weekend. And Thursdays, and so you could classify him as an alcoholic, definitely in my opinion. Uh he asked me if I knew for sure if I was going to heaven or not. He said, I don't got these shoes for you, but I got a question. Do you know for sure if you're going to go to heaven or not? And I told him, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm Catholic. He said, well, according to the Bible, that that answer won't, won't get you there. And he he had tapped out clearly how I could know for sure heaven was my home, all the Bible verses. I took those Bible verses to my house, and uh, I was looking at the mirror, at the Bible, the mirror, the Bible, and I, I said, I'm going to just put my trust and faith in the Christ, and I, I, I was born again right then and there. Amen. And life for me, uh, all I knew was selling drugs and fighting. Mm. And one of my friends, maybe three, four, five days after that, came to me and he asked me if I um, could get him a pound of marijuana to help uh, him make some money for his wedding. My other buddy uh, that I went to college with wanted to know if I could get him a quarter pound of smoke. And I said, sure. So I went and I did that and we would get 5, 10, 15 bricks of marijuana, pounds, and we would cut the corner on each one to make sure that the marijuana was in there. But uh, this day, I got a big pound Ziploc baggie with a fluffy quarter pound sitting here and a, and a brick in here. Gave him the money, uh, took off, get through the quarter pound to my friend, threw the brick to my other buddy, and he went to cut the corner, and he couldn't get in there. Uh, so he unravels it, and there's a book in there. So naturally, he's not very happy. And the book that the man used to deceive us was entitled "A hope for each day by Billy Graham and I figured well I didn't have a clue who Billy Graham was I'm not a not a Billy Graham guy but um I read the book and in chapter number one says it pleases God for you to put your trust and faith in him I don't remember anything else about the book but I remember that and I remember telling God okay I'm gonna do that but you're gonna have to do something for me the next day I walked across the street to the Urban Outfitter Uh, again and I had been trying to read this Bible, but I couldn't comprehend so good, learning disabilities, mom doing drugs, this, that, and the other. And I said, you can have this Bible back. I can't understand it. He said, well, have you prayed about it? So I did that. And then the next day I'm reading the Bible. I'm comprehending. If you can't read and you pray and the next day you're reading, that's a miracle. <laughs> that's the first thing that God did in my life. I hadn't even I didn't even see that, though. The first thing that I saw God do in my life was um, uh, I, I was... That man, he would let us go to church, or he would pay us if we'd get a couple hours of overtime if we would go to church on Wednesdays. Um, the drug dealer and drug using and alcoholic, mind you. And we have a lot of rock solid Baptists out there that um, lived a good, healthy, clean life but don't lead anybody to the Lord. Yep. Um, uh, side note.
1: By the way, on a side note, that guy did uh, end up getting uh, rid of... Uh... Alcohol and drugs and things yep. in his life, so uh, absolutely, yep. he's now a good friend and and uh, he'll be coming down tomorrow to work with us. What we're doing here, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, that'll be that'll definitely be a pleasure and good to see him. Anticipating that, um, so uh, the the next thing that I saw God really do, and then I guess we could close with this. I, I was coming to uh, as far as this portion. I, I was coming to coming home from Iowa or coming home to Iowa from Wisconsin and the police pulled us over and said, this verbiage was just, it just blew my mind. They said we were weaving in and out of traffic, passing 40 ounces of malt liquor. I'm like, that's, come on, malt liquor? Really? And you just want to pull us over and, and, and smoking <laughs> cannabis. And I got a DWB driving while black because we had no liquor, we had no cannabis, we had no alcohol in the car. But what I did have was a warrant for failure to appear, so I had to go to jail for 30 days and... Uh, as I got there, you know, I had been going to church. So that Sunday I went to church. There was only one person in the church. We had a big flat screen, and that's where they had church and all that stuff.
1: Going to church in jail. In jail. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There was only one other person in there. So next Saturday, I, when I got saved, I went to church. And on Saturday they did a thing called soul winning. And I figured I'm here. I'm going to go soul winning. So I started asking people, you want to go to church? i want to go to church. And, but I didn't do it on Saturday. I did it on Sunday. Let's get up and go to church. No, let's get up and go to church. Wake me up again. I'm going to stab you with my pencil. <laughs> Things of that nature. Anyways, long story short, by the time I was done in there, there was a there was a man at the uh, th- th- that 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 whole section was filled up with people. There was a Bible study at the top end of the pod, bottom end of the pod, um, and uh, the very first, the very next thing that I saw God do after um. Giving me that book and that man, uh, he offered me a job actually for at his call center. And I said, I'm not going to work in a call center. And he said, I don't need you to work I, it's on the phones. I just want you to hire and uh, fire people, manage them. I said, I can do that for sure. Uh, so I saw God do that after I told him, I need you to do something for me. Actually, I told him, you're going to have to do something for me. And he did something for me. Amen. Um, so I get to that jail. Very first day, I see a couple men. I prayed for both of those men. I see the countenance on those men's faces change. And I think to myself, man, God, if, if there's anybody else here who needs me, could you send them to me? This was maybe 12 o'clock at night. I go to sleep, wake up, eat breakfast, sleep half the day away because nobody wants to be in jail all day. And then... uh I go to the break room, and all the COs sit at a desk with a computer, and they're showing all people my fights and stuff, which is ridiculous, because we're in jail. Gonna, people flashing around that they're tough guys. Other people are going to want to test them. So I, I can remember praying that prayer, going to sleep, waking up, eating breakfast, going to the break room instead of going to sleep for some reason. I was the only one in there, and this guy comes streaming up to me, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to punch this guy. He's going to want to fight. Who knows why? Or I could let him punch me, and then we can scrap this. and going to look better on the camera. And then I was like, forget that. And I, I go to stand up, and he sits down. I'm like, cool, great. We don't have to fight today. <laughs> and he uh, he said, I got the devil in me. Could you pray with me? And I thought to myself, man, I just asked God if he if anybody needed me, if you could send them to me. And he did that right away. And then it was time for me to get out. The guards were trying to get me out early. Uh, they said, and since this maximum security prison had been built, this is the first time that... There has not been an altercation where somebody had to get kicked out, got beat out. Got, there was a bloody altercation where somebody had to get kited out or or any of that stuff. And he said, you brought peace to this pod. And I thought to myself, well, I brought peace to this pod. Wow. And then it dawned on me, I didn't bring peace to this pod. God brought peace to this pod. Yep. And if God can do that with me in here, he can do that with me out there. And that's what I've just been trying to do since.
1: Awesome. So you mentioned your fighting background. Uh, just quickly give what you've done in the fighting world.
2: Um, I've won several... I've won several amateur titles. I won several professional titles. I'm the first Iowa heavyweight state champion. I was ranked uh, in the top 100 at uh, heavyweight and in the top 50 at light heavyweight um, in the world. Uh, Fought on the TV show The Ultimate Fighter. Own a gym, run a gym. Awesome. Got it.
1: So, um,. Just quickly on that, one of the things, two things we're doing while we're here. One is, uh, as you know, I'm the chaplain at the jail, and my son is, and so uh, uh, this is the third, fourth time.
2: This is the fourth time.
1: Fourth time that Todd's come down and we do a revival inside the jail. They allow us to do that, and so Todd's preaching like fifteen times in every pod in every group. Um, well, my feet don't
2: hurt this done. time. I'm wearing sneakers instead of
1: <laughs> what I would. dress shoes. So yeah. uh, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's preaching. I mean, five times a day going in there, and so uh, we have that. And then on Friday and Saturday we do a mini mixed martial arts. Um, Confidence and training for uh, young guys from 9 to 18 years old and teach them some jujitsu, some wrestling, some boxing. And um, it's awesome. Uh, We have seven boys. Our boys love it. Look forward to it. And we'll get some bloody noses. We'll get some uh, black eyes. It's awesome. And uh, to be able to teach the young men to be able to um, defend, protect themselves, their family, is a big deal. And so, um, uh, and like I said, Todd has a gym in Iowa. So um, you use your gym, you win people to Christ, you preach in junior church, and now you're traveling around the country and around the world preaching. Uh, what are the, what are, how is God using you? Tell me about the ministry that God's given you.
2: It's not a ministry, it's ministries for sure. So the gym, uh, after COVID, the gym almost shut down, and that was, we, we, we were petitioning for all the help and all the stuff that they were offering everybody and they didn't give us anything until after we got ourselves right back on our feet, but better, better late than never. Um, And and I I told God, you know, my gym is open. I got 10,000 square feet. I have, uh, you know, I I never pay out of my own pocket for the gym. It's sufficient. But I told the Lord, if you want, if you want this gym to stay open, you're going to have to do something. And he just flooded us with people. I asked them that like three months ago. Um, and I believe the reason that we, we only pay 700 bucks for downtown, one of the most prime locations ever. Wow. And that's because people get saved and people come to church. And every time there's junior church, I do programs for the for all my kids to come to church. And God's just worked that out. So there's what the gym is. And it's, a, it's an outreach to the community. And as a, I'm a police chaplain with the Clinton county police department and we allow... Wait, wait, wait.
1: A drug dealer and a thug is now the police chaplain? Is that... Uh, yeah, it's it? interesting.
2: Actually, <laughs> I'm in a public school system too. I got a gold key to the city or a gold key to the school district and the officers were there saying how ironic that was that uh, they're sitting here giving me a gold key to the school district, <laughs> the ones that used to try to arrest me. Had a fed come to my gym once and he walked in and he said, I'm sorry. I'd like to say sorry for uh, you know, the way that I treated you back in the day. And I said, well, I wasn't the best citizen back in the day, and he said, "Well, um, you know, I could have still did better." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "I could have tried to help you." I said, "Interesting. What changed your heart on that one?" He said, wow. "I got saved." Wow. I said, "Oh, that's good." <laughs> I said, "That'll happen." Yeah, so that'll there's there's the, there's there's the, the schools. There's the chaplain. I I do inner city teed conferences. I was in Maryland and I saw rusty cars and dirty fingernails on the parents in the middle class neighborhoods. And then we go to the section eight housing where they have beamers and all mercedes, ginormous flat screen TVs. I asked the preacher that I was with. Uh, how does this happen he said well the politicians come in they say uh, don't become one of those politicians That's i know not. you won't i know you won't <laughs> i know you won't and i'm looking forward to you you running and your success there but uh he says the politicians will come in ask do you like how you're living and if they say yes he'll say They'll say vote for us and you can continue to live that way to me it's a form of modern day slavery you can argue that it is or it is not that's how i feel about it and we have all these people Ka- kaepernick this guy that guy you want to take a knee you want to do this you want to do that you want to do that Uh, uh, let's do something with some substance. So, so what I chose to do is start inner city team conferences where we try to combat the entitlement. We try to combat the, um, you know, using babies to pay for your lifestyle, yada, 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 inner city team conferences. We do mixed martial arts camps, as you mentioned, strong emphasis on men being men, dealing with the cards they've been dealt, still being productive members of society, um, vacation Bible schools in the jails, doing revivals, um, uh,
1: all kinds of stuff and fishing. Fish.
2: 149 <laughs> species of fish caught. 2020, <laughs> uh, I was try- one way from getting my 150 goal, and then last year 100 in, uh, like 28 or nine species different of species
1: of fish. Of fish. Right. You keep track of that. That's crazy. So. Uh, so I joking when he was coming down here, I said, All right, we got a private lake two miles from the house. You can go fishing every morning, uh, and then we'll preach in the afternoon and do all that. And he thought I was joking. And so uh, they've been on the last couple of days. And, uh, Caught a what four point six pound bass four
2: point six seven pounder 4
1: pound bass and so he uh, was
2: a really really healthy fish
1: and so uh, there you go on the it, camera right we we'll let you see him uh, if you're if you're on the camera you can <laughs> see that it was it was good so uh, um, I wanted to get into another topic and uh, probably going to do a part two on this where I go into more of my stuff and story i just get it started and then ask you um, about it and. Uh, it's been a, um, an issue um, that I've seen. So I grew up in Tennessee. Um, the little country school we went to, they had one black family. And there was no race problems. Um, everyone got along. When I was a kid, we moved to Iowa and uh, grew up there. There were more black families. and We had no issues, no problems. Uh, um Senior in high school, our homecoming queen was a black girl, and everyone voted for her. She was super nice, and everybody got along, never had any race issues. Joined the Army. Um, Basic training, AIT, jump school, permanent party, Uh, the bases in Korea and Fort Bragg. I never saw any racism. We had a three-man team. Two guys on the team were black, and uh, me, and everybody got along great. I had their back. They had my back, and never saw any issues. I went to Bible college, and guess what I saw? racism, and telling racist jokes, uh, putting people down. And true story, one time I was uh, giving a guy a ride back home from church, a guy going to Bible college to be a preacher. So he said, I hate black people. How can you hate a whole group of people that Jesus loved and died for just as much as he loved and died for you? And I almost kicked him out of the car. I was so furious. And and in the ministry, I've seen that and pushed against that. And our church is an open church, welcome church. Everybody's there. Everybody comes. Uh, we had a mayor day one time, and the mayor came, and we let him greet the people and introduce the people to the mayor. And on the way out, he said to me, he said, wow. I said, what? He goes, I've never seen this. I said, what? He said, I've been almost every church in the county. He said, you have white people and then black people and Spanish people. You've got some rich people and poor people. You've got educable slow people. I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I, I've never seen that. I said, well, I, I believe if Jesus was a pastor, that everybody would be welcome. He goes, no, I am, I agree with that. I've just never seen that. And so I think that's the way churches are supposed to be. So um, if you're not on video and uh, Todd is a, uh, you are a black man. Is that right? Correct. Correct. All right. So, uh How have you seen, and this is a Fundamental Baptist podcast, and so um, it's to teach and help and preach and encourage, and uh, um, how have you, what have you seen uh, growing up? You were a black boy in a white family and school. Um, How much racism did you see growing up, and how much have you seen since you've been now a preacher and independent King James Fundamental Baptist?
2: Growing up in Iowa, um you know i didn't even realize i was different than anybody till i was about 7 i was sitting in a catholic church service with probably 300 white people and i just noticed my skin was different than everybody else <laughs> so from that standpoint not a lot of not a lot of racism but um nine 10 there was this one boy around the uh Around the neighborhood, called me a nigger, and it didn't really bother me because I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> wow! Um, and growing up, middle school, like grade school, I I I don't I don't remember experiencing any racism from any adults or any any kids. Middle school, there's just a, a little bit of that, but in Iowa, you know, where I lived in Clinton. We got a lot of people, Chicago, that couldn't hack it in Chicago. I call them the Chicago rejects. Some people just couldn't make it for for legitimate reasons, but some people just couldn't hack it, and they float down here and they try to sell the drugs and they try to do their things, and um, so we had a all types of black people, productive ones and non-productive ones, and um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to th- oh, I got to, I got to, Incident, probably ten years old. I walk into this was the most significant issue uh, as a child that I went through. I I walked into my cousin's apartment, and his friends were walking in, and they had a dog. And they said, "You need to keep your cousin in the house the whole time he's here because our dog will kill him. He has been trained to kill black people." Wow. And they weren't racist people. They were pretty good people. But they got the dog from somebody that trained it to kill black people. Wow. And sure enough, I go out because I can't stay in there the whole stinking day. I walk out. That dog busts out after me. I'm a chubby little 10-year-old just running down the street or this parking lot. And I I just think to myself, I'm going to run as close to that dumpster as I can. Then I'm going to take a hard right. And I ran as close to that dumpster as I could, hard right. I could hear the dog's nails. <sharp inhale> Boom, he hits the dumpster. Then I'm taking off running back to the to the door and you know it's an apartment door so it's got the air pump. <sharp inhale> so I grab that thing <sharp inhale> and his hey, Paul gets stuck in the Paul gets stuck in the door and um are like let him go, let him go and I'm screaming, "No, no." <laughs> and you know, I I I never thought like I never thought about hating white people or anything after that. Yeah. And uh, it, it, when I really felt like like those black pressures, if you will, or it, was, it was like being a, a teenager. I didn't hang out with the best people, but I definitely felt profiled for um, not only being black, but I was a skateboarder. I can remember my one of my teachers um, uh, he was a, he was our football coach. He said, you need to start hanging out with some taller people or you're not going to play football for me. I said, what do you mean? He said, all those skateboarders. So I got one of my black friends and I walked into his office. I said, now what did you just say? Uh, uh, and he said the same thing. So then I walked into the principal's office. I was like, as a principal in here. like, yeah, you need to wait a minute. I didn't wait for nothing. I walked into the principal's office. Said, so I hear I'm not playing football for you. This is after I just had a 1,000-yard uh, season as a sophomore. And he was like, who said that? And I told him, and, and at, they ended up firing him. That was that was the last straw. <laughs> but I was a black kid that rode around on skateboards and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I, as, a, as a skater, I was legitimate. Anything that I did, I was solid at. And I was a good skateboarder. And I hung out with the gangbangers. I hung out with the preps because I played the, the sports. And I, I was a skater because I loved to skateboard. And I can remember uh, black people crushing white people with rocks and White people crushing people with skateboards, and I'm just sitting back like, this this is this is just ridiculous.
1: how mm. about in ministry is preaching. Um, um, in my mind, I've seen the racist jokes and uh, and prejudging people based on the color of their skin, which is what prejudice is. We prejudge people, um, and people talking about, oh, that yeah, they need a good black church. Um, like there's a different church for white and black people. Uh, Have you been around or seen any of that?
2: Yeah, so I try to get people in the church. Um, Like last year, there was only three weeks that went by when I wasn't able to lead somebody to the Lord, and uh, at least one person, and everybody I try to get, or everybody I lead to the Lord, I try to get into a church. Now, um, a majority of those people were not in my city, but every person that was in my city that I led to the Lord I invited the church. Tried to get to church. many came to church, and now of all the black people, none of them have stuck. Not one of them. And it's always the same stuff, like the music, or I just need a black guy to preach to me, or this, that, and the other. But uh, but a lot of it has to do with the music, and you know, they just don't understand. Not they, but people, Um because I brought some white people, and they've you know at this music, yada yada yada. But they just a lot of times feel like I need the drums and I need this and I need that uh, and we need to move. And I've been to solid fundamental black churches that sing hymns and they don't sing them like white people because they're not white people. Mm -hmm. And they have a little soul to them and they have a little feel to them. Um, But the music needs to be God God honoring and soul stirring and I try to tell people, when I came and heard, heard these hymns, I said, what is this? I'm never going to enjoy this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't really listen to much other stuff than that. So what that is, that's one of the barriers of this music. Another barrier is white people are racist and black people are racist. Yeah. There's a barrier. Um, in, that's what I was
1: going to ask. So you have seen both sides of it as far as... Uh,
2: yeah, but way more designed. with the white people than I have with the black people. Like, um, as far as uh, the sorry, as far as the black people, a, a lot of stuff. Um, I'll hear continuing on to what I was saying is like I'll say, look, we got old fashioned, uh, old time religion. Uh, you know, Bible preaching church, and like here's old time religion. You know, some of your people used to sing those hymns that you sing in your hymn books and then go put bed sheets on and lynch people. And I can't argue with that because it's true, but it's not the old time religion that I'm trying to talk about. And then we have on on the same token, my, my father, I'm kind of getting off on a rabbit trail. You can, uh, we can shoot him dead if you want to, or we can run with this. But my, my father-in-law, the man that adopted my sister, I call him my father. He was in Texas when they were integrating schools. Um, and he went through some things. My mother would would sit down at the table. People would spit on her. And uh, everybody would rise up from the table and leave. And she works with white people. She loves white people. She has nothing against them. But then there's a lot of black people who will tell those stories and have hatred and bitterness in their heart. Right. And naturally, their kids will adopt that hatred and the bitterness. Right. And then I just preach in a church down in Florida not that long ago. They just took out of their, uh, their Constitution... Uh, that black people can come to the church. Wow. Before then, black people couldn't come to the church. Now, black people were welcome to come to the church, but they still had that in there. What's that doing in there? There's no business with that in there. And then I asked the guy, you know, how is how is how is you're in a black neighborhood? How, how how is your efforts to reach the black people? He said it's tough because my grandma knows, grandpa knows, and generations have known that black people aren't welcome here. So you have you have some of those issues, and then me as a preacher personally, some of the stuff I've dealt with first was the white wife thing. You're married to a white wife. That's wrong because of ham and sham and this and that and the bloodlines and yada yada yada. So I told I talked to one guy. I said, okay, you you got a Mediterranean lady there. So or, or what what's up with that? He was like, oh, I traced the bloodlines back, and I'm like, whooey, it's, it's nonsense. And then here's here's something that kills me. It's a culture thing. So I should get an exemption. It's a culture thing. You you grow up in a black home, you marry a white woman, you're going to have issues. Well, I'm a black man that grew up in a white home, so shouldn't I get an automatic exemption from that? And then, um, you know, stupid jokes about racism or just a lot of... I've dealt with so much poking. And, uh, you know, one preacher... Black this, black this, black this, black that, poking at this, poking at that, and uh um I couldn't I, I just he just seemed like a, a solid guy, but there's always this poking. And he would give me advice that was super sound that I didn't ask for in a in a in a in a razzing type of way. And then he called me to have him come preach for him. And I went down there and preached for him, and I've never to this day had anybody treat me better than than he did. And he's an older man; he's seventy plus. Hmm. So I'm in, I'm down in Texas, in a place that's been racist since, racist since, racist. And he, I'm in his office, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I had, a I had the first black couple that came to my church." Um, the next day, a guy come in on a Monday, um, set his pistol on my desk and said, we're not gonna have no more of these black people in our church. Wow. And he set the gun and he and he turned the gun towards him and said, Well if you're gonna use that gun, you can use that gun because we're gonna have black people in, in, in our church. So, you know, that's like that's mixed for me. Right. Like what are, what are we doing here? Like what is that? Um and then I've been in I've been in this so many, heard so many just stories. Stupid jokes. But what really kills me is, um, oh, (laughs) I was at a large camp. Most people hearing this, even if they don't know the quote-unquote circle, if I mention the camp, I dare say 90% of the people would understand or would would, would know the camp that I'm talking about. And before it's time to go to sleep, um, uh, they're having a, a little devotion with the kids, and the guy gets up. God has had me preach several times for him. Gets up and he just goes on and on and on about how um, it's wrong for black people to marry white people. And afterwards he said this I know they'll never have me, they weren't happy with him. And he said, I know you guys are never going to have me preach here, but it needed to be said.
1: Well, it's always amazing to me someone can say that. And your Bible verse is what? You know, what's the Bible verse for this? Um, If the Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice, then what's your Bible verse for it? Because it's not there. And when you see that Moses married an Ethiopian woman and uh, then they criticized her, uh, Miriam criticized, what happened? Who did God judge? Not Moses, uh, Judge Miriam with leprosy, leprosy. And she had to go to Moses to even be healed by that. So it's amazing people's, uh, prejudice or stereotypes when um, I wish, as Christians, we would talk about how many races there are, um, one, one race. It's called the human race, the human race. There's one race. There's different tribes, different nationalities, different colors, different peoples, Feeds, different yeah. families, all that. Um, but there's one race, the human race. And uh, and I think in our churches... Um, there's a lot we need to do, so we're going to end this uh, uh, for time. But I want let to let me ask, say this. Let me oh, say this. Go a ahead. lot
2: of those people that felt that way, a lot of those people that were harsh to me at the beginning, I believe, I believe God put me in their path because now a lot of those people have different opinions, and a lot of those people are are dear friends to me. Okay. And I'll definitely say this. Um, there's far more. I see far more uh, people that love people than than people that are racist. The problem is, the people that have the issues, uh, they preach that stuff, and people soak it up. They don't take any time to dig into the Bible and say, "Where is this at?" Right. They take this verse out of context, or they take uh, they take what he, they say as sound doctrine, sound Bible doctrine,
1: yeah. and. We're going to have another ep- uh, episode on this. I'm going to go into a lot of the Bible teaching on this. But I want to ask you two things before then anything else that you have. So one is, uh, is it getting better or worse from what you see in our churches and then in our country? And then number two, what's the answer? What's the answer to racism?
2: Uh, is, is it getting better or worse in our churches? And then ask me that next question. In our churches, um, uh, here's, here's why I think it's getting worse. Like younger generations are getting fed up. And they're like, what is this? Like these guys have been preaching this, but this is trash. And then we start new fundamental Baptists. And then the teenagers go to no church or they go to non-denominational churches. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect is it's getting worse. And we're already plagued with young men that don't wanna yield to the call to preach, don't wanna work, don't wanna do nothing. And then they see that nonsense and like why don't why do I wanna be why do I wanna be part of that? Like they have like what right. well, it's cool to be black. One of the, the, the it doesn't matter what anybody says the most influential people on the planet are black people. We dress this way. We wear these yep. kind of clothes. You yep. drive these kind of cars and that's what people do. So when you're bashing people that they look up to, well, whether it's for right or wrong, um, that, that, that's a hindrance. And to any black people listening, we need to, we need to make sure that we're setting trends for Jesus. Amen. Instead of the amen. world. Amen. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't, Here's here's why I feel it's getting better, um, because a lot of those old men that preach that nonsense are fading off the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with a lot of those old men fading off the scene, a lot of their good, solid standards and um, uh, the solid stuff that they're preaching are fading off as well. Yeah.
1: That's right. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Oh, the world I mean, you said see. is it in okay, the world. It, is the world is it getting worse uh, in the world?
2: It's getting um, well. Here's here's here's. I I don't even know how to answer that because we have a bunch of black people that run around screaming um, uh, "Black Lives Matter." When and Black Lives do matter. People say um, "All Lives Matter" is a protest to Black Lives Matter, and I'm not against that. I I I, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. But what I do disagree with is. Um, the people, the black people that stick up for an organization ran by white people that is not for black people. Yeah. That's for tearing black people down and, or, or definitely not building them up. Right. Do a little stinking research, amen? Yep. It's like when Obama got voted in, I was happy that there was a black president, but I was perplexed because um, Young Jeezy and all these rappers get on, vote for Obama, uh, and people go and vote for him because of a rapper told him to instead of watching a debate, like, what 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 are we really doing here um, and you know we 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 as black people we've tried to do things like whether you like taking a knee or not i think since we live in a country where you can take a knee you should stand that's just just simple as that try to take a knee or try to bash your president or try to do that in another country it's off with your head so yep. since we live in a country where you can take a knee if you want to that's take good. a knee stand but um uh Like Colin Kaepernick and all them dudes, like realistically taking a knee is is not where it's at. You got this money, you got this platform, get into a branch, uh, do something serious with your money and your power and your effort. So we have that. And then we have like a guy walks in and orders a black coffee in Oregon or somewhere and they got, they they flipped out on him. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, you're not woke if you call it black coffee. It's, I forget what they call it um and what is this so it's not even it's not even worse it's definitely worse and it's not because of this black white issue like white supremacy yada 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 there is all that stuff but like people just taking stuff out of context is this like there's just it's mm-hmm. a storm
1: it seems like like i said when i grew up and even when you grew up you know i'm no white guy so obviously i didn't i wasn't a part of any you know person being racist to me i didn't see it i'm sure someone who's black growing up with it did because they had that um
2: i really feel like i felt it from the police a yeah, lot too
1: yeah it is it uh definitely is now and it's amazing when i love what morgan freeman and denzel washington and those guys when they talk about racism even uh i don't know who this guy is but he has a real raspy voice little 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 wayne is that Mm-hmm. You hear these guys talk about racism, and I've heard the testimony. Little Wayne said, "I've never seen racism. I've always been treated with respect. And they're like what? You can go Google that. It's amazing. Morgan Freeman said in an interview with this big um, news guy, he said, "Stop calling me a black man where I'm a man." Um, you know why the racism is worse? Because we talk about it. Right. Um, and I'm an so, American,
2: not an African American. I wasn't born yeah. in I'm just an American. I don't mind being called African American, but I'm just, I call, label myself an American.
1: Yeah. And so the more people push to divide and point out our differences, then the worse it gets. Instead of agreeing how many things we have that are, are alike and the same. And, and so, those are the
2: things we need to be woke on right yeah, there
1: exactly and I, I think the people that are trying to push and show the differences are making it worse and I think Obama did with trying to make issues of things that were not issues they weren't race issues There were a person issue and you make it a race issue because a person happened to be black when this was illegal it was wrong deal with that don't bring race into it as they say pull, play the race card um, if it's not a race issue and obviously there's some time that it is So so it does seem like People that are trying to, and again, this is Morgan Freeman says you want to you want to fix it. Stop talking about it. You know, stop making that. So anyway, um, so the answer, uh, what is the answer to the race issue, the race problems? What would what would fix that?
2: Well, simply it's Jesus. But um, if 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 we can start loving people, uh, loving people, truly loving people, and loving people where they're at, things will just be better. Like it's tough for me. (laughs) There's some people in my life, like the man who taught me to love people where they're at. I've had a he, he's he's caused a lot of hurt, pain, and anguish in a lot of people that are close to me, but I still love him. Mm. I still love him, and because I'm able to love him, uh, I, I don't hate him like some of those other people hate him. If you love white people for who they are or black people, um, it's hard to hate somebody that you love. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Um, and then a little bit of research helps hey I'm gonna join this cause I can't stand eight so I spoke in this black lives matter rally and it was a uh, uh, it was organized by a little white homosexual man little tiny homosexual man a- 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 and I never really got around to asking him you know what he was starting this for but I got there and I'm people are in public enemy number ones got these signs up and they're not gonna let him speak I came in a I was wearing this right here, something similar. And I got up there. I said, hey, can I speak? He said, yeah. I said, it's not about women's rights. And that's what the paper quoted me, Todd Monaghan. It's not mm. for women's rights. <laughs> it's not about women's <laughs> rights. It's not about black people's rights. It's not about gay people's rights. It's not about you guys all want equality. You guys want everybody to have a good life. Then stop trying to promote your agendas over everybody's agendas. If you want to if you're about this love, then, then love everybody. I'm a fundamental Baptist preacher. I love gay people. Yeah. And people think, oh, he he hates gay people. He hates this. He hates that. I'm not. I love people right. because I want to help people. Amen. Amen. So definitely, definitely love. Definitely doing a little bit of research. Hey, I'm for this. I see, I see the white girl in my church walk around with this Black Lives Matter church shirt. She'll say, You don't know nothing about this. What are you talking about? What are you What are you What are you doing here? Why do you, Why do you, Why do you rep that? Why do you rep that? Um, uh, so doing some research, knowing why you believe what you believe, loving people right where they're at. Jesus Christ. Um, and for, here's here's. I'll end with this because I I know we have a, a time constraint. But you don't have any right to complain about my country if you live here and you don't spread the gospel. Amen. Because Jesus Christ is the answer, the antidote, whatever you want to call him. If you're not giving people the cure, then you don't you don't you don't you don't get to complain.
1: Amen. The answer is Jesus for sure. So, I'll tell more of my story and things we've done and gone against it. But uh, Brother Todd's preaching for us. And I thought, boy, it'd be great to have you on, to talk about life, background, ministry, but also to talk about this race issue and see if we can help some. So, if someone would like to connect with Todd Monaghan, have you in to preach, uh, do um, camp, school, service, whatever, uh, how can they follow you and how can they connect with you?
2: MMA ministry at gmail.com, Todd, the letter N, Megan. Monaghan, M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N on Facebook or Iowa Top, Iowa underscore Top Team uh, Mixed Martial Arts, Todd Monaghan on
1: Instagram. Uh, Also, uh, Todd, we'll try to put that in the description so they can have that, your website and email address in the description of the podcast. That way they can connect with you. And um, when, (laughs) I'll tell you what happened. The man that led Todd to Christ, his name is Jay Carson. Jay Carson moved down to Tennessee and uh, and came to our church. And he said, hey, um, can you have this guy come down and preach? He led me to Christ. I'm like, what is he? Yeah, he's got a rough background, but I'm, I'm sorry. I got to lead him to Christ. Um, and uh, I want him to come preach in our junior church. And and I like Jay, but I didn't know Todd. I'm like, so I took a chance on what Jay said to have Todd come down. And um, and that was the first time that he preached uh, anywhere within our church. And so now he's got a nationwide ministry and it owes it all to me, just kidding, <laughs> uh, to Jay Carson who led him to Christ and gave them a push for him with us to let him preach. And so been a great friend and a great help in ministry and a co-laborer, cool has a heart to love God, to help people. And so I can vouch for him 100%. Um, he loves people, he loves my kids, loves our family, loves our church, uh, loves the guys in the jail. Um, it's a pure heart, a sincere guy. And so uh, if you're looking for someone who could be a help to you and your people, um, I, I promise you, Brother Todd can. So thank you, sir, for coming on. Thank you for all the preaching. we got a few more days of, uh, of this to happen. And um, Are you right going to compete? So, Are you going to box? I, I, I hurt people too badly. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I should do that. So, uh, we'll see. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Take care.